This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 704 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. This week, I'm your head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick. Take that. And I'm your head number two, and I don't care. My name is Matt Baum, and it's time for another Cosmic Longbox episode where normally we'd be digging into back issues, but this time, the CLB demands to know more about the dawn of DC relaunch. Is it a relaunch? Initiative? I mean... I don't. What, let's I would, I would on say that it first. is a what publishing initiative, but many okay. of the books are relaunches. Yes, it's, I mean okay. all of the ones we're doing today are relaunches. Publishing initiative. I like it. After that, we're going to set you up. Nothing gets the fans excited like the words <laughs> publishing initiative. <laughs> After that, we'll set you up with our must-read picks for next week's new comics. But now, the Cosmic Log Box finds itself confused with this new DC publisher initiative, so we must do our cosmic duties or suffer its wrath. It is dawn of DC review time in the cigarette. They are the world's greatest superheroes. Their mission is to protect the world from evil. The DC Universe is heading toward the light. But it's always darkest before the dawn, dawn of DC. A year-long storytelling initiative, new epic series, new creative teams, new battles to fight, forging the future one hero at a time. Unlike the last few relaunches and reboots at DC, the dawn of DC seems to be a little kinder and gentler to continuity. Uh, as well as our heroes. (laughs) This is probably why our Cosmic Long Box is so confused as to what's going on here. But today, Matt and I are going to review the rest of the Dawn of DC titles that we haven't already talked about. And hopefully, when all is said and done, we'll have a better understanding of these characters' status quo. Statuses quo? I don't don't know. What's the plural of status quo? Status quos? I think it's just status quo. Both old and new. Now, Matt, it's morning again at DC. Today, more men, women, and gender non-specific people will go to the comic shop than ever before in our country's history. Let's tell them about these Dawn of DC titles. It's a little Ronald Reagan speech for you there. (laughs) Wow, way to like really taint the whole mood All I could think about whether they say this Dawn of DC is it's morning in America. It's morning in the ziggurat. (laughs) We begin right where we should with the Dawn of DC Primer special edition one shot. Number one. <laughs> it had a lot going on. This is for DC. It's 24 pages for the low, low price of free. It is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Leandro Fernandez, colors by Daniel Miwa, letters by Troy Pateri, and cover by Simone DeMeo. Here is your solicit. Amanda Waller meets with the remaining members of Deathstroke's secret society and offers full pardons and expunged records to anyone who manages to kill a superhero. Meanwhile, Peacemaker and Peace Wrecker. I was not aware there was a Peace Wrecker. That was new to me. 
Uh, I've seen Peace Wrecker appear before. I'm not 100% sure where she made her first appearance. Okay. But that's all I know. I I know that she's been around. Regardless, they journey to Lazarus Island and retrieve a remnant of the Helmet of Fate, which regenerates itself to form the Helmet of Hate. Kind of silly, but at least it rhymes. Wait, wait, wait. Is Really? I misread that then. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. Uh, We'll we'll get there. Other than letting readers know DC just finished up another major event, this primer doesn't waste time explaining what happened and instead chooses to focus on where the story is headed. As usual, Amanda Waller has a plan, and as usual, it's nefarious, and as usual, she's pardoning killers. And again, as usual, it involves some of DC's gnarliest villains, but this time, it seems a lot more simplified. Kill a hero and I'll pay you. <laughs> right? I can't speak to the helmet of hate. Does Uncle Joe... Know anything about this? Because this was all new to me. Well, I don't know. They may have been looking for the helmet of hate all along. I because the helmet of fate, the golden helm of Naboo, right, was a key part of the Lazarus planet crossover. I guess that's true. And now maybe it's something we missed from the crossover because we did not read everything. And the peacemaker definitely knows what it is. He calls it the helmet. That may also explain where uh, Peace Wrecker came from. That could. Okay. There we go. We know mystery solved. (laughs) Leandro Fernandez's art isn't going to be the favorite of fans looking for clean, classic superhero work, but I personally love him. He's not the guy that you get to draw Superman, but his darker, edgier style is perfect for a story starring a bunch of villains that takes place in the shadows. The whole back half of this comic introduces the new status quos for all the characters along with a splash of the art from their new title. And it's a great way to get new readers or new or returning readers excited about what's happening to their favorite characters. This was a nice little short story that just kind of sets everything up. I got to say way more simple than any initiative we have had before this. I'm giving it a buy it. It's pretty straightforward. Yes, it is pretty straightforward. Uh, so just a real quick point of clarification. Uh, Peace Wrecker first appeared in the pages of Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven. Okay. So it, she, it must have been kind of like towards the end. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? It was the final page. The final page introduced... You know, his, it's like, when do they get a little peace record? Oh, like okay. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. And so, yeah. She probably uh, played a fairly big part of Lazarus planet that we did not pay a lot of attention to. Cause it wasn't, I don't know. Good. I really don't know. Uh, something that, something that was kind of an ongoing theme, at least with this week's releases, maybe not ongoing, but at least more than once for sure. Peace Wrecker is all up on the DC universe right now. Apparently. He he is he is in the background Peacemaker. making Peacemaker. moves in What did I say? Peace Wrecker. Well, sh- her too. Yeah. Both but, of them. But you said Peace like, Wrecker is all up on the DC. Well, but I mean yes, but they both are. Peacemaker is what I meant, but yeah. they're together. So they are uh, they are in the background doing all of these weird clandestine moves uh, in the back of multiple Donna DC books. Uh, and not just in, you know, the black label, funny, Oh, all over the place. HBO yeah. one, but like there, he's shows up in Titans and not just yada, a yada. peacemaker, Steve Pugh, uh, the mini series that we reviewed. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Right. Like this is an actual serious comic. This a serious, you know, action, uh, drama of kind of anti-hero for, uh, peacemaker. I, I just, uh, I, I like it. I, I, I like that they're making peacemaker a thing. Uh, but I feel like they're making a version of peacemaker a thing 
that isn't the version of Peacemaker that everybody loves. <laughs> so I, I wonder how that's going to play out. Yeah. Okay. Look, I don't hate it. I think it's interesting. And I buy, oh, I that, certainly like, don't hate it. This Peacemaker is a little more in tune, understands what's going on and maybe is not a bad guy, but fundamentally believes that what Waller is doing is right. And is like, if it makes me more important and gets me where I want to be, I'm in. You trust me? Let's go. You know, I'm all right with I that. Mean, he, but he's not the lovable John Cena from the TV show that much. Right. For like he doesn't, he doesn't appear to be a dullard. You know, he's not no. a failure. He's a, an actual competent agent of Amanda Waller. Yeah. Like the president called, uh, calls his phone and asks to speak to the Titans sometimes and stuff. You know, right. Like. <laughs> and so, you know, it's cool. If they can make Peacemaker a compelling character considering the nonsense he started out as in the DC universe, sure. uh, which we talked about some weeks ago, then God bless him. Uh, Amanda Waller is, is, she's just, she's just gone full villain. Like we're not even, we're not even pretending anymore that we're not even pretending anymore that she's, you know, shades of gray. She's like, no, the superheroes have to die. Yeah. And I don't the, think, do they? I think it is a, are you sure? I think it's a natural progression for her at this point with like, as she's gotten a little more evil and a little more evil and a little more evil, it's like, well, yeah, this is where you end up. All right, kill him. Start killing him. Yeah, I mean, I point. suppose, I suppose. <laughs> so we'll see where it all, we're, we'll see where it all plays out. I, I kind of prefer my government uh, characters to be a little bit more on the gray side than the black, uh, you know, the black hat side, but we'll see. Well, maybe, we'll see. Uh, maybe this they are great. peace loving hippie. You don't know. Listen to you. <laughs> no, I mean, like, look, Director Bones isn't above doing something shady because he thinks the ends justify the sure, means, sure, but he's not going to sure. hire Deathshot to go kill Batman. No, no, I get it. So it, it's, it's kind of two different uh, takes on, on the concept. So we'll see where it goes. I, I loved this. I love Leandro Fernandez. It is not superhero art. It's, it's, I don't think fans, I don't think a lot of fans are going to really love this yeah. special, but it's just a one shot. So don't worry about it. You don't even, you didn't even have to pay for it. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a buy it for me, or more accurately, it's a take it. Just yeah. go to your shop and grab one, or read it off the steal internet. Steal it. It's a steal it. It's a steal it. You don't even have to steal it. Yeah. The helmet of hate. That's a fun idea. Right? There you go. that we have already reviewed a couple of Dawn of DC titles in previous episodes, but there's been a whole bunch since then. And my first proper title in the Dawn of DC publishing initiative is Green Lantern. Number one, it's 40 pages for four 99. It's written by Jeremy Adams and Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Armanico and Montos. That's right. It's the all single named artists issue. Love it. With colors by Romulo Fiardo Jr. and Adriano Lucas, letters by Dave Sharp, and a cover by Armanico. Here's your solicit. Spinning out of the events of Dark Crisis, the Guardians of Oa at the heart of the Green Lantern Corps have quarantined Sector 2814, home of the planet Earth, and its champion along with it. A heartbreaking defeat has sent Hal reeling, returning home to rediscover his roots and find the man responsible for ruining his life, Sinestro. From the visionary team of Jeremy Adams and Hermanico, I keep wanting to say Zermanico, which I'm sure is incorrect. Yeah. But uh, Hermanico was the artist of the epic Flashpoint Beyond. I believe Jeremy Adams also uh, helped co-write that series. Comes a tale of redemption, loss, and finding out that maybe, just maybe, you can go home again 
at least if you're willing to hotwire a power ring to do it. It also features part one of John Stewart War Journal from writer Philip Kennedy Johnson and artist Montos. It has been a long time since I was able to get invested in a Green Lantern title. Morrison's runs were fun, but they always felt more like a temporary departure. They're their own thing and their own little pocket of continuity. DC's repeated attempts to relaunch the franchise with stuff like Teen Lantern or whatever the hell was going on with Jon Stewart never grabbed me, so much so that I have no idea where all this stuff about Hal Jordan's bitter defeat and the Guardians quarantining Earth. Like, did that happen in a comic? I have no clue. I think that happened in the last run of Green Lantern. I suppose it must have. Yeah. But Jeremy Adams, fresh off his time reestablishing Wally West as the DCU's premier speedster, has given a truly wonderful fresh start to Hal Jordan, bringing him back to Earth and into the lives of the people of Coast City. I'm not going to get too deep into the plot here, but suffice it to say that he spends a lot of time like reconnecting with Carol Ferris and, you know, just kind of soul searching about the direction of his life. But Adams and Hermonico have brought a sense of joy to Hal's adventures, even though things aren't all that great in his personal life. The Green Lantern books have felt so serious for so long, but this issue has a sense of welcome lightness. Hal actually smiles nearly the entire time. And why wouldn't he? He's a test pilot wearing a magic wish-granting ring on his finger. So what if his love life is a mess and the advancements in his career field have left him in the dust? I actually thought that scene was very well done. Yeah. Hal ain't got time for all that. There is a super villain to fight, whether he is prepared or not. Another great scene. Hermonico's art is outstanding. His loose, wild lines match Hal's personality and the sparking fountains of green power he wields. The John Stewart backup story by Johnson and Montos is really more of a tease setting up a threat from an alternate reality that will undoubtedly be a problem for John just as he's trying to reestablish a normal life back home with his family. And will also have nothing to do with another John Stewart backup that we'll talk about later. (laughs) It has. Well, and also, yeah, it has. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with the last John Stewart story we read. I think we're we're just wiping that away. I think, yeah, we're kind of at ground zero for old Johnny boy here. Green Lantern number one has a back to basics approach to Hal and John's stories. That's drawn me in, in a way that the umpteenth rainbow ring filled cosmic crisis. Couldn't I'm giving this a buy it. I loved it. And yeah, at this, at the core, I think what Adams and Kennedy Johnson are doing here is like remembering that there are people that wear these rings. We got so caught up in the rings and the guardians and the story behind these new characters and this color ring and the guy that's been killing everyone that wears that ring, you know, like we got so lost in that for so long. You know what? And also the, and also the idea that they're kind of like a military outfit, right? Which is a neat idea. Well, there's, it does, it does kind of make it easy for characters to get lost in the procedure. Yeah. They're space cops at it. But the best thing about a cop procedural is the personality of the cops. That's what we fall in yeah. love with. We don't love watching, you know, crooks get booked or, or even aliens get zapped with a green ring. We love the people that wear these rings and they obviously love John Stewart. They obviously love Hal and they're making Hal like a friendly good guy hero again. Now maybe he's a bit of a doofus and I don't blame Carol for being like, no, 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, not. no. Like if, like the <laughs> honestly, the last thing that I want for these characters is for Ka- Hal and Carol to get back together. Yeah, because it'll be a disaster. We don't need it. We don't need it. And Carol's smarter than Hal, and I think they understand that. This book looks fantastic. They brought the soul of the book back, and I'm not just saying like Hal's the best Green Lantern, or whatever. But he is the main no, one. No, I don't. Yeah, he's the main one. John is very important too, and right behind him, and has a great story here. And I'm glad we're getting personal with the Green Lanterns again. This is a massive buy it. I'm so excited for this. I do hope, I do hope that somewhere along the line, whether it's this book or another, we have room for Kyle and, and guy. Oh, sure. Maybe, and I'm sure we will. Maybe they're out. They, they might still be out in space or something. If earth is quarantined, they might be, you know, cut off. Who right. Knows? And they'll take their time and tell that story too. Right now, let's just settle in with our guys on earth, you know? Yep. This continuing fight against interplanetary evil. Green Lantern. Guardian of the Galaxy. The Titans had a pretty big status quo, and we'll talk about that in a little bit here, but one of them, well, he's still kind of whining. It's Cyborg, number one, from DC's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Morgan Hampton with art by Tom Rainey, colors by Michael Atia, letters by Rob Lee, and cover by Edwin Galmon. Here is your solicit. When a family emergency brings Cyborg back home to Detroit, Victor Stone surprisingly finds himself enjoying his return in the simpler life where everybody sees him for who he really is and always was rather than as a larger than life superhero. It's been a while since Vic's been able to lower his guard and seek a purpose outside of being cyborg 24 seven, but a lot has changed in Detroit. While Victor has been away, an aggressive new company is turning the motor city into an overclocked engine for revolutionary artificial intelligence and no one knows better than Cyborg that technological transformation always comes at a steep human price. Milestone Initiative writer Morgan Hampton, who worked on DC Power, a celebration, joins forces with veteran star artist Tom Rainey, who worked on Green Lantern and on Canny X-Men, did a bunch of other stuff too, to give Cyborg... Outsiders. Outsiders, true. To give Cyborg the dawn of DC epic he deserves. I will be the first to admit... I don't have much experience with Vic Stone and the limited reading I've had starring Cyborg. He always came off as DC's kind of whiny counterpart to Marvel's whiny vision. A lot of, my dad made me this thing, when his dad saved his life and turned him into one of the most powerful heroes in the DCU. I'll give it. It's it's complicated, though. Didn't ask his permission. I get it. (laughs) And his dad is a shithead. Right. I'll give Hampton, he's doing a great job setting up Vic's feelings about his complex relationship with his father. And in this story, those feelings get even more complex, but it kind of feels like more just sad cyborg to me. That said, it does seem like Hampton may have set Vic on a path to finally work through his loss of agency. At the same time, there is a second theme of the rise of AI tech and the public fear that that it brings, which in a universe full of AI already, might be a little late to discuss now with Brainiac running around, but it's real-world, timely, and it's handled fine here. The colors and art are bombastic, but they also get pretty weird at times, with characters standing at really weird angles, panels that are a little too busy interrupting the flow of the action, and some really odd design choices, like why are the Titans wearing dress clothes over their uniforms at a few. Let me tell you, that almost <laughs> broke me. What is going it broke on? me. <laughs> I gotta say, not only humor landed for me, but this new cyborg, he does seem a little more chill, a little more interesting as a character that otherwise 
never really did it for me. It, it's sort of like, what if the thing who I love, one of my favorite characters, but what if the thing just cried about being the thing 24 seven for 60 years, we would not care about that character anymore. That's kind of where I've been with cyborg. I yeah. hope he gets to heal, but for now I can only give this a skim. I agree with you. I, I love Cyborg, but again, I love I love Cyborg as he had been depicted in, you know, later stories like the late 90s or the early 2000s where he'd had a chance to come to terms with what had happened yeah. to him and you know and it's it's been a long time since Vic has been the angry Cyborg from the 80s with the chip on his shoulder. And I feel like they're trying to kind of get back to that. And I understand why it's kind of a reset yeah, for, right? the, for the they're, Snyder bros. Right. I mean, I mean, that well, <laughs> sure. But, but I mean, it's kind of a reset to the core of the character, but in my mind, I've already read all the stories where, where Vic has kind of come through the other side. Yeah, Like why can't However, he just be past that and be okay and tell me a good story about Vic. If the story is about losing his agency and stuff, I would argue all they do is make him like whine about that loss of agency and he's not allowed to get past it, thereby robbing the character of any agency, you know, let him grow. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, but again, I understand kind of why that's the approach, right? It's I, like, yeah. this is, this is the core of cyborg. Let's at least address it. Sure. And, uh, you know, the stuff with his dad, yes, dad saved his life. But it was uh, it was a bum situation, and, and he's a jerk. Like, look, I get and that. his dad his his dad is an opportunistic, manipulative asshole. Right, Logan Roy made all the kids on Succession rich. That doesn't mean he was a good father. He's a shit. Oh, sure, you know? yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I get it. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on, but I do like how the writer kind of touched on a lot of. Uh, cyborg's past that might not be necessarily uh, at the top of everybody's mind. You know, if you know him just from the cartoons or from justice league, you like, you know about his dad, obviously, but like Dr. Sarah Charles was a huge force in cyborg's life when he was first introduced. And so I kind of liked that she came back and they had that moment. I assume these bad guys he faces, they're like old school cyborg, like baddies too. Oh, those are members of the Fearsome Five. That's oh. Gizmo and Mammoth from the New Teen Titans. Okay. Yeah, they're, right. yeah, they're old Titans villains. So, the art. I love Tom Rainey personally. I too. I, I think, I mentioned Outsiders. If you go back and read Judd Winnick's Outsiders, drawn by Tom Rainey, that book is phenomenal. And it's essentially a grown-up version of the Titans. It's Nightwing and Arsenal and, uh, you know... It's a lot of the Titans characters that you love plus a bunch of new characters. And it's so, so, so good. His Stormwatch too. His Stormwatch. His Stormwatch. Right. Um, This Tom Riney, this is kind of, this is skirting the edge of, you know, when we talk about artists that aren't necessarily, they haven't evolved in a way. Boy, I'm really trying to say this without being a real asshole. I think it. you just got to come out and say like, this isn't the Tom Rainey that I used to love. That's it, a, that's it's, yeah. That's a I nice mean, it's not the Tom say. Rainey. It's not the Tom Rainey I used to love. Yeah, and I don't it, like. I still look back at those old issues and 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 think, oh man, these are beautiful. And if he was still drawing like that, I don't think anybody would be complaining. It's it's not that the fact that he's developed as an artist is not the problem. It's that he's changed as an artist, and I don't like the change. I agree. 
And it's not that it's awful. It's it's certainly not awful, but it's just something's off about it. It seems like he's trying to do a thing that he he's just not very that he's not as strong at, and I, and I don't understand why. He, I, I, I couldn't choice, tell you. Like, you know? I, I can't put my finger on it other than, you know, like, I could point out specific things, but, um, you know, I don't want, we're not going to go through the comic page by page, but, uh, the, the thing with, <laughs> the thing with the superheroes wearing dress clothes over oh, their costumes man. is just a, it's just, it almost broke me. I mean, villains wearing their costumes in prison almost breaks me, but like if they put prison, yeah, no, this is worse. This is worse. Prison uniforms over their costumes. I'd be like, okay, that is just stupid. <laughs> right. And you know, uh, Vic, who I understand, like you don't want to roll around just with your cyborg bits hanging out all the time, but he, they've got him in this kind of high tech tracksuit looking thing. Which, you know, it's cool if it's just like casual cyborg out on the town. It's very Mr. Terrific is what it looks like. But he's in it for almost the entire issue, and it's on the cover, which makes me think that they're trying to push it as some kind of uniform, this and is I don't his, like that. This is his new look. They No, I don't want that. Like, no. This is what I, I he looks like now. I don't like seeing him in action like that, but maybe that's just a me thing. I'm just an old school fan. I kind of don't love uh, it either. If, I feel like there's a lot of this going on. We're going to talk about like Superboy later and stuff. There's a lot of pe- super uh, power girl is now wearing a jacket. Like everybody's got jackets all of a sudden. Why do we need jackets? Well, <laughs> you're you know, super with, people. With, what are you going to get cold? <laughs> Come on. With the cyborg redesign and the, and the more recent uh, Miles Morales redesign where he had like a, a hoodie and, um, you know, sneakers on. Like, right. I understand that there's a cultural component to the, uh, 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 cultural fashion component sure. to what's going on. I just like, it doesn't make sense to me to have a hero essentially running into battle in sweats. You right. Know? I, I just, I don't get it, but that's a me thing. Uh, this is a skimmit. I, I think that Morgan Hampton does a uh, st- strong work. And I think that he's got a lot of potential or she, I'm not sure if Morgan is, um, you know, not sure about Morgan's whole status there, but I think that they uh, do strong work. They obviously have an affinity for the character, um, but it's a skim. It. There was just some things that didn't sit with me. Jean-Claude Van Damme has become the first hero of the 21st century. <laughs> I just proclaimed my uh, ignorance in the previous review, but hey, if there's one thing THN is known for, it's not really understanding cultural relevance. Next up is Spirit World number one, part of the We Are Legends line from DC Comics. It's also part of the Donna DC line. They kind of put their peanut butter in their chocolate there. And the We Are it's Legends is like their AAPI, like, right? The, yes, well, I'm going to okay. mention that. Oh, yeah, okay, it's, okay. In my, it's in my review. Gotcha. Uh, it's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Alyssa Wong with art by Hai Ning, colors by Sebastian Chang, letters by Janice Chang. Here's your solicit. From the pages of Lazarus Planet Dark Fate, a new Chinese hero emerges who's able to travel to and from the spirit world, the realm of the dead, and that of the living. Their name is Xanthi. And their superpower is being able to burn items folded from Joss paper. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. J-O-S-S. And immediately turn them into real objects based on the East Asian practice of burning Joss paper at graveyards in order to send resources to ancestors in the spirit world. Except 
Xanthi can retrieve those items in the world of the living. How convenient. Their weapon of choice is a large broadsword because who doesn't love a big sword when you can choose to use a big sword? Xanthi is a master of the dark arts who's here to give Constantine a run for his money, literally. When Constantine shows up saying Xanthi scammed him into buying something, he finds them and Batgirl Cassandra Kane fighting an abnormal influx of Zhangxi, which are Chinese hopping vampires, and joins in to help. But when a portal opens up that drags Batgirl into the spirit world, it's up to Xanthi and Constantine to travel to the land of the spirits to rescue her. Who knows what other spirits we'll find in the spirit world? Like that skateboarding boy wearing hanfu with some headphones and a gaping hole in his chest. I, they kind of went off the rails there with the what ifs about the spirit world. But right. The whole skateboarding boy thing, I'm pretty sure doesn't happen in this issue. May is AAPI Heritage Month. That's Asian, Asian American and Pacific Islander. And DC is launching We Are Legends, a line of culturally accurate titles firmly set in the DC universe, featuring AAPI characters and creators, and they are releasing them in conjunction with the dawn of DC. First out of the gate is Spirit World. Xanthi is known as a spirit envoy, a kind of courier that makes runs between the lands of the living and the lands of the dead. They prefer to spend their time in the spirit world and may even be dead themselves based on a few hints dropped in this issue. I wrote that actually before I went back and read the free comic book day. We are legends one shot, which does in fact confirm Xanthi has been dead since like the 1980s. Since Xanthi's adventure with John Constantine and Cassandra Kane in Lazarus planet, dark fate Batgirl has been trapped on the other side and now it's time to get her back. Alyssa Wong's script is thoughtful and engaging, telling readers everything they need to know about Xanthi's mission, the Lazarus Planet tie-in, and the Chinese culture that permeates the story. I love Xanthi's ability to manifest objects in the real world by burning tiny versions of them uh, made from that paper. Wong's portrayal of Cassandra Kane feels more like the character I know and love than she has in a long time. She's not like chatty and speaking in full conversational sentences like she does in bad girls she's terse and a few words you know like the cast i've always read about the creatures in the spirit world are straight out of a creepy asian horror film and while the book deals with some heavy themes it's not weighed down by darkness taiwanese artist Heining provides beautiful visuals that pop from the page thanks in part to sebastian cheng's really vibrant colors Spirit World number one is an excellent start to both a compelling new series and the We Are Legends line. And based on the strength of this issue, I'm excited to see what's to come. Slight spoiler alert. I might just stick to Spirit World, but we'll see. I'm giving this one a buy it. Did you read the Dark Fate one shot thing? I didn't read Dark Fate. I I read the free comic book day one. And that's the one where Batgirl actually gets sucked to the Spirit World. I read Dark Fate. And because I started reading this and went, I have no idea what this character is. I don't know what's going on. This feels like a second issue to me. The reason it does is because everything with this character is laid out in Lazarus Planet Dark Fate. Now, this comic does not do you the favor of telling you that. You got to get on the internet and do that research. It is definitely spelled out. This character is dead. 
And this character, I understand, and they did it in the Free Comic Book Day special, right? Well, and that's why they can see. I didn't read the Free Comic Book Day special, so I wouldn't have known either. That's why they can go back and forth. Normally, alive people can't do that. Batgirl got trapped there by a freak accident, and that's why we're all freaking out, right? Right. None of this is really spelled out in this issue, and it left me pretty confused and feeling like I was reading a second issue, and. Also, like, look, I get that Hellblazer's magic. Totally get that. I feel like there's plenty of other people that they could have put in this comic to do this thing besides John Constantine. Because you kind of have John Constantine sort of acting like, well, I'm a conservative old magician who doesn't like this stuff. And it's like, that's not John Constantine. He's a punk rock shithead that wouldn't care at all. I like Xanthi. And I, the art is magnificent. I think it's a beautiful looking comic. And I think the character is very interesting. And I like the setup. And I agree. I think it's cool that Cassandra Kane is here because we get to do something with her heritage finally rather than child abused by murderer father who was raised mute and trafficked to America where she now fights for justice or party girl from the pages of Batgirls, with, which equally didn't make a lot of sense to me. I like her more here, sure. This just did not feel like a good start to me. And I feel like if you don't pick up that free comic book day special or you didn't read Dark Fate, they're not doing this comic book a lot of favors with the start. I think it's interesting. I'm giving it a skim it. It's just felt like a second issue. And by the end, I was, had more questions about the nature of the character and what's going on than I did about whether or not I want to read the next issue. Okay. This is where I like having a disagreement because you and I have two totally different responses to the material. Sure. I read, I read the number one. And I thought that the number one gave you everything you needed to know. Like she explained the Joss paper. She explained being a spirit envoy. Yes, it was clear that they were picking up from an adventure that happened someplace yeah, else. No, I got all that. That, that was what I was talking every, about. That's, that happens in nearly every comic book we review. And I, that, that's not a deal breaker to me. You know, I, like I, I thought that they caught the reader up. I thought that Wong caught the reader up well enough to enjoy what's in this book. But yes, having more context is certainly not going to hurt. I'm not going to say run out and buy Lazarus Planet Dark Fate. I didn't read it. Don't, but the free comic, the free comic book day one shot, you know, you can find that online. Sure. And it's, it's a perfectly good primer for this, uh, for this issue. It's, it's got the, the goods as far as Batgirl getting trapped in the spirit world. And it's got the meeting between Xanthi and Constantine. So, yeah, I mean, check out the freaking comic book day one shot for more context if you need it. But for me, I was fine. But your mileage may vary. Fair. On the outskirts of Smallville, Crypto, the super dog, eagerly awaits the arrival of his master, Superboy. Suddenly. Now for the first of the Superboys, let's talk about the adventures of Superman, John Kent. Number one from DC is 26 pages. It's written by Tom Taylor, with art and cover by Clayton Henry, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Wes Abbott. Here's your solicit. Across the multiverse, Kal-Els are being murdered. Valzad, the Superman of Earth 2, believes only one man can help stop the killing of Kal-El's son, John Kent. John will have to step across dimensions and face the killer of Kal-El's, the monstrous Ultraman, the man who kidnapped and tortured him for years. And Valzad is not acting alone in trying to save the Superman. Who is the mysterious woman alongside him? And what is her shocking connection to the Super Family? 
While Superman was out in space, prisoner on Warworld, it made sense that John would take over. But now that Dad is back, it's off to the multiverse for John. Normally, I'd place my hand on my forehead and collapse on my fainting couch due to DC multiverse fatigue at this point. But I trust Tom Taylor, and he's got a solid plan here for John's book and a mission for Super Junior. I what is your what does your fainting couch look like? Old school red plush. It's got like you know brass buttons. It's got the back. It's got the like shoulder rest and then it tapers off to like a seated area. You know, my friend's grandma had one in her apartment. She was an old school Italian lady. Oh, wow. Wow. I admit I had no clue who Valzad's mysterious female buddy from Earth 2 was, but I didn't read any other two stories she appeared in. So the big reveal of the identity was a little lost on me. Clayton Henry just keeps getting better every time I see his work. His art is perfect for a super title. His characters ooze with personality, and his action is over the top while being perfectly easy to follow. Jordi Belair's colors are bright in the action scenes, but softer in the more personal talking head moments. Belair is just so good. She understands that coloring isn't just filling in lines, but using colors to make do things like make John look fast or use a sunset to make John's house feel more homey. It's just beautiful. With the title of this story being Injustice, I have to wonder if this will tie into Taylor's Injustice comics set in the video game adaptation world somehow. Yeah, yes. This is a, this is a multiversal story after all. John Kent continues to be one of DC's most interesting new characters, and he's in great hands with this creative team. This is a buy it. I'm glad they got something for him to do. The Injustice thing worries me a little bit, but I trust Tom Taylor. I trust him. By all accounts, those Injustice comics are very, very That's good. That's what I've, I've heard. Just- I've never read them because I never got into the video game. Maybe I'll read them because I'm a huge Tom Taylor fan, you know, but yes, I, I thought this was great. I like Clayton Henry a lot. Obviously I love Tom Taylor. I'm um, he's one of my current favorite writers. And I think at the moment he can do no wrong. Don't push it, Taylor. Don't you push me. Don't test me. My fear is with Kal-El, with Clark back in the main books, I worry that John is going to get shuffled to the side and then dropped because this is a miniseries. Well, we'll talk about that Superboy in just a minute here, but you know, I don't think it's going to happen to well, John real quick here. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a whole different kettle of fish, which again, we'll talk about. So I, I just worry because I, after the, after the very, very strong, you know, 18 or however many issues it was of Superman, son of Kal-El when they announced, Oh, don't worry. He's getting his own title. It's yeah. a five issue miniseries tied to a video game. Yeah. Oh, and he's getting electric powers. And it's like, eh, but, but I've Lazarus read, you planet, know, I've man. read, what can you do? <laughs> I, I get it. And you know what I've read, uh, we're up to two or three at this point now. And I've read them and the explanation for what's going on with his powers. And I actually think it's, it makes a ton of sense. I, I, it's great job by Taylor. It's not just like a, hey, remember this costume? Wink, right, wink. Right. I mean, it is that. It, it's a little bit of that, but it did there's a reason to, why. It happened to dad, you know. Right. And uh, But this is a buy it for me. Uh, I, I just hope, I hope that John sticks around for the long term. And I hope that Tom Taylor gets to write him because he's very good at it. I don't disagree, but you're right. This could turn into, hey, Injustice fans. Hey, uh, John Kent fans. Here's your corner of the DC universe where you, he has a great, big, important story that 
You don't have to worry about it if you just want to read Superman. You know, <laughs> it could. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, there's no evidence that that's what's going to happen, but we'll see. America, you look like you need a holiday, a fair income holiday in the land of wonder, the land down under. Well, my favorite Australian writer is just having a banner day because next up is Titans number one from D.C. They're all from D.C. It's done in D.C., baby. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Tom Taylor who I constantly forget is Australian. I didn't even it's, know he was Australian. It's drawn by Nicola Scott with colors by Annette Kwok, letters by Wes Abbott, and a cover by Scott and Kwok. Uh, Nicola Scott might also be Australian? I don't uh, think so. I don't see Australia, Joe. Penal colony. I don't judge people cr- like that. Full of, cr- Sorry. Full of, full of criminals. No, I'm saying I don't judge people like that. So. Oh, you don't see Australia. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you don't see, right. you don't see color. Yes. I understand. Yeah. Here's your solicit. The dark crisis is over and the justice league is no more. Now a new team must rise and protect the earth. Titans go. The teen Titans are ready to grow up. Each member joined as a much younger hero, certain that one day they'd be invited to join the justice league, but the time has come for them not to join the league, but to replace it. Are the no longer teen heroes ready for the big leagues? Danger lurks around every corner as heroes and villains alike challenge the new team before they've even begun. Will the DCU ever be the same? Find out in this landmark first issue brought to you by the all-star creative team of Tom Taylor, who you know and love from Nightwing, Deceased, and, hey, Injustice, and Nicola Scott, who worked on Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman Historia, Secret Six, Earth Two, many, many, many other things. Hey, you know what? Nicola Scott. She's great. We love Zod. She was all up on that Earth 2 business. Oh. Tom Taylor brings his exceptional talent for characterization to the Titans, and the results are very good, as you might expect. We touch base with your favorite classic members as Nightwing tries to build his team, but not all of them are receptive to his plan. The issue kicks off with an interesting, let's be real, no stakes murder mystery that we know will have a positive outcome just based on who's involved, but the fun will be in how Dick and the others unravel it. Maybe, maybe you'll be so mad when this is over. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, I mean, what I happened last time that character went to therapy, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. The book slightly lacks that certain spark that Nightwing has, but I'll chalk that up to Taylor needing to spread the love between a whole roster of characters instead of just focusing on one main star. And everyone on the team does get a moment to shine, showcasing their personality and their abilities. Nicola Scott's art is breathtaking for the most part. There are a few panels here and there, very few, that look a bit awkward. There's one scene in particular where it looks like Beast Boy's head has become detached from his neck. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. As he hugs Raven. Yeah, I'm looking at it right and now. And I, like, I, I stared at it, stared at it, trying to make the art make sense in my brain. Like, I erased, I mentally erased Raven and just tried to see Beast Boy's body. I'm like, nope, eh. nope, it doesn't work. Otherwise, though, her work here is stunning. Time will tell whether the Titans can truly replace the Justice League in the hearts and minds of the DCU and its more <clears throat> obstinate readers. That bomb. But Taylor and Scott's first issue makes a compelling case, giving this a buy it. Tell you what, Cyborg, not wearing a leather jacket here. No. He's not. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's just when he goes home. I think Taylor was smart 
and taking a minute here to sort of turn the camera on some characters that don't get as much love, like Raven and Beast Boy and their relationship. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I get it. They're huge in the cartoons and kids love them there and stuff. But in the comics, it's kind of Nightwing's doing this and, oh, you know, Starfire's in love with so-and-so and whatever. Like, they kind of get shunted to the back a little bit. They did more. He did more here to make me care about them. And it's not just like, because they kissed, I didn't even know they were a couple to be perfectly honest, but he did more here to sort of humanize them and make me care about them than I've read in a long time. And that's, yeah. Important. I mean, Beast Boy, Beast Boy did have that whole arc in dark crisis as well. Right. Uh, where he gets, you know, injured very, very badly. And yeah. He has to fight back on that. No, but, and, just, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought he did a great job here and it's fun with just like an old villain that makes an appearance that like, I was like, Oh, that's what we're doing. Cool. You know, <laughs> I had a lot of fun with this. And what I really enjoyed is there's leaning into that. Okay. Nightwing, you're a big deal now. And people are going to want to talk to you like you're a big deal because you're in charge. The JLA is not around and Hey, Batman trained you. And Tom Taylor was like, well, here's the thing. He's not Batman. He's not going to act like Batman. And when people show mm-hmm. up and treat him like Batman, the first thing he says is, look, I'm not Batman, so I'm not going to do that. And it's just great. It's great. And you can see yeah. how it pisses certain people off. I, Taylor is such a good hold. I mean, you know, go read his Nightwing for more. It's fantastic. But Taylor is such a great hold on these characters, and he's going to sprinkle that magic on these other characters that I admit I don't really have a lot of feeling for. And maybe by the time this is done, I'm in. I'm giving Titans a buy it. This is great. There is one thing. There's one thing that I had a hard time coming to grips with. And if there are any Titans fans out there that want to, you know, talk me down, please do. Throughout the entire issue, all of the Titans who are close friends refer to Cyborg as Cy when for my entire life, they have always called him Vic. And I'm like, why are they calling him Psy? Oh, well, and they I kept have doing it over and over and <laughs> over. And I'm like, what is going on? Tom Taylor. They called him Vic. What are you doing? So somebody please prove me wrong. I want to know, is there a precedent for the rest of the Titans calling him Psy? I think he's I only Vic. Think I've ever heard it. I think he's only Vic when he's in his sweats and his leather jacket. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Okay, Crypto, let's go find him. Up, up, and away! And now back to Superboy. This time it's Superboy, the man of tomorrow, number one, the other Superboy. From DC, it's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Kenny Porter with art, colors, and inks by Janoy Lindsay and letters by Lucas Gattoni. Here is your solicit. Connor can't take center stage. After the events of Dark Crisis, Connor feels out of place with the rest of the hero community. He should with that outfit on. He doesn't fit in with the rest of the Superman family and the rest of the world doesn't really need him with so many supers in Metropolis. I, don't, I might not either. He doesn't want to rely on Tim, Listen. Cassie, and Bart. So Connor looks to the stars, the place he might be able to call his own and carve out his own path. But what lurks in the great unknown? Are bravado and swagger enough to help Superboy find his new calling? This is the 2022 Round Robin winner picked by you, the fans. Remember that? I didn't. I totally forgot this is the I mean, I do, but I blocked it from <laughs> yeah. my memory. 
fan vote winner of DC's round robin tournament, Connor Kent gets his own book. And while I admit I haven't kept up with Connor's recent status quo, I guess we don't have to worry about it because the creators don't take any time to set up why he's here, what he's doing, other than feeling like an outcast with all the other super people. It's important to note that this story takes place before Action 1051, so the other Superboy hasn't left for the multiverse yet, and both Supers, man and girl, are still here on Earth. Now, Joe and I have a conspiracy theory that this got pushed back last year because of all the shipping delays, and they went, screw it, we'll sit on it, and we'll throw it in with Dawn of DCU More on that in a second. Unlike the other Dawn of DC titles that all seem to have either a new mission for the main character or perhaps a new status quo, this story sees Connor just looking for trouble indiscriminately, and it doesn't make for a compelling first issue at all. The art is very good at times, but it's uneven with some weird angles of Connor's face during fight scenes and some POV that, while obviously manga-inspired, just didn't really work for me. I can't say I care for the return to the 90s Superboy look complete with fingerless gloves and spiked leather jacket either. We are wrong. You're but wrong. But that happened before this. Joe, if he was walking around dressed like that and you saw him, what would you think? Would you think, oh, I wonder if that's a member of BTS, you know? like <laughs> BTS. <laughs> they dress BTS. like crazy they, people. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> okay? He looks, they just put a jacket over his super suit. And his super suit looks like it's a Legion suit without a cape. That's all it looks like. I, I, ugh. I have to wonder if this round robin initiative. Oh, no, we, we talked about that. Yada, 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 yada. The reason I bring up the round robin initiative getting pushed back is because this doesn't feel like anything else that's happening in Dawn of DC at all. And it starts with very little context other than that. This happened before Action Comics 1051. Okay, great. I did find the backup story starring in, starring in age. John Stewart, Green Lantern, retired on an alien planet, picking one more fight for justice. Pretty interesting. But what are these backups? Are they just previews of the other finalists? The last narration box says, next time, Hawkman and Hawkwoman, but issue two has a kid flash backup. What is going on with this comic? And I don't know. What? Do we, is this even a direction for Connor Kent or just, I got nothing to do. I'm going to go in space and pick a fight, skim it. And it's barely a skim it. Okay. There's nothing fundamentally wrong. I just don't know why we need more of this character doing this at all. Okay. So I liked this better than I liked this more than you did. And I, I understand all the reasons why you, you don't, first of all, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with his costume. He's a young kid trying to make his own way. And so, yeah, he dresses like a shithead. Just like a crazy person, Joe. That this was, but that's cool fine, for young man. He's kids. young. He's, he's a teenage. <laughs> he's a teenage hero trying to look cool. Like, so what? He's got real dumb hair. You know, it's just, it's, it's kids today, man. You could just go, ah, kids, right? Today? This is more like when Avril Lavigne dressed up in the early 2000s. And hey, like, he's just she's a punk rock, but she's, pl- she's going to play a piano and, and be sad. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yes, this was a round robin. This was a part of the round robin initiative, which was a contest, like a, um, a March Madness style kind of bracket challenge right. where DC would, uh, DC, I believe, God, 
gosh, did they actually release the first chapters of all these books? I don't recall, but they pitted a bunch of books against each other in a bracket style channel. They didn't release them. They just announced creative teams and no, solicits oh, and you voted no. on it. Yeah. You know what? You're right. That's I don't what believe it was. they, I don't believe they, re- I don't believe they released them. Huh? And so, yeah, uh, fans basically chose as though it were a popularity contest. Right. And so titles that sounded like kind of fun and out there didn't have a chance. Whereas Superboy, who is a huge fan favorite won by a landslide. And so here we are that, but that was forever ago. It, I feel like it was another lifetime ago. Well, it wasn't last happened. March. It was the March before. <laughs> well, this so. says 2022. That, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it, but it was last year. So yes, but it feels like longer ago, even than that. So, I don't know why it, I don't know why they've been sitting on it. I'm not sure why they decided yes. Now let's let's put it in with Don and DC and see what happens. To be fair to I you, don't, they announced this before it. The voting and the finish was in March. It was a March Madness turn. So all of it like boiled to a finish. Not last March, March of 2022. <laughs> it's when they announced right. The, you know who won. So yeah, and uh, so yes, here we are. Uh, my, my own personal theory and, you know, we'll probably never find out, but, and that's fine. But my own personal theory is that the reason this book is coming out is because it won and DC commissioned an entire miniseries. That's it. Yeah. And it's like, well, we have this, let's just put it out and and see what happens. What the backups are. I don't know because there's no promise of more. No. So far, every, every backup has been different. They're completely disconnected. First issue at the John Stewart one, and then it advertised the Hawkman Hawkwoman one, except number two, which I read just yesterday had a kid flash backup. Yeah, I said that in my review. And, <laughs> yeah. I'm, but I mean, it's just like, what is that? What's happening? Right. I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah. So it's a puzzler. Uh, as far as the story and the art, I actually think it's pretty decent. Uh, Superboy is trying to find purpose. And so he's not just going out there to cause trouble. He's going out there to find people to help. No, I didn't say cause trouble. He's looking for trouble, you know, like. but he's going out to find people to help. He's doing what Superman does. Right. And he's got a little, you know, he's got a little bobble from the fortress of solitude that, that helps him along and whatever. And so, yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, I find the Connor Kent, it's, I find the Connor Kent from the young justice cartoon a thousand times more interesting than this one. A thousand times more interesting. Yes. Well, your hatred for I, I just, the it, reign of the Superman characters is I already just wish firmly they would, established. I just on wish the they record. would lean into it. You got something really interesting. Clone of Luthor and Superman. Bring the dog in. Just make him closer to that interesting character. This is like that's this character. A, they talk about it. He's that a clone character of Luthor is not and a punk rock moron that dresses like an idiot and no, like because he's more throws of a, himself into situations. He's like he's smart. He's thought about it. He's complex where he kind of has evil feelings sometimes and like good feelings like his dad you know like he's a complex character this is this boilerplate been through all that though this is boilerplate like i'm a loose cannon comic book character all okay right. no i don't look i do not agree with your characterization of how he's portrayed here i i don't think that that's how he acts in fact more than once, he's like, he is trying to be responsible and save lives and stop. And like when Keelix tells him, you don't know anything about this combat, this comp, this 
thing that's going on or the race or the planet and you want to use an experimental teleporter that your dad doesn't even use and, and he's like gotta do it bro <laughs> yeah because he wants to help them he wants to help them he's basically bored but like if you read the second if you look at the second issue there's a there's a there's other new characters that are introduced that are much more casual in their collateral damage right we meet them in the end of this one they show they're, right uh, they're trying to stop the dominators and they don't care who gets hurt while they do it and Superboy is the voice of reason he's trying sure. to stop them and to protect people at all costs so i don't think your characterization is exactly spot on i think five yes, issues a kid. this is done yes he does goofy stuff it's a mini series man of course it's only gonna be five issues yeah and nothing's gonna happen the story you'll need to worry about and why we're Hopefully getting it now they'll do something interesting with connor again sometime i don't hate the character i just don't like this version of the character you're, you're wrong this version of the character is awesome rate it again because i That's, spoke over you it's fine it's a skimmit i i said it was a skimmit already Let's check back in with the We Are Legends line with The Vigil number one from DC. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Ram V with art by Lalit Kumar Sharma. Colors by Rain Barreto. Letters by Dave Sharp with a cover by Sumit Kumar. Here's your solicit. Got a bunch of weird like internet backslashes and stuff in here yeah. as though like you can read that out loud knock it off i don't know if they're are they trying to be like oh this is like lifted code or something or yeah like, like somebody found it on the like the uh, it's a message on the dark web from the heroes it's oh, like but that's, none of that shit happens the in this dark country. web crap oh yeah right who are the vigil the shipping vessel east wind was taken captive by pirates off the coast of thailand 24 hours after the crew had been taken hostage, before communications had been established or any demands made, the crew reported an intervention by a group of unknown individuals. Amid other bizarre claims by the crew are reports of an individual who changed his appearance at will and a woman who seemingly dodged bullets. Once the pirates were taken out, no attempts were made at rescuing the crew. There have long been rumors of rogue metahumans targeting weaponized illegal technology, with some hinting that they called themselves... The Vigil. What were they after? What did they, why did they intervene? Are there metas among us? Stay tuned for more. You are being watched. Oh, I get it. It's like a broadcast. So that's why it's got all the dots and stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Whatever. The Vigil is a brand new concept with an age old premise. It's your standard black ops team, independent from any government oversight. The first issue is pretty boilerplate stuff as well. With a new recruit being brought into the fold and getting a chance to show the team in action, it all reads very familiar, like something you've seen or read in a dozen other stories. Even the team uniforms are kind of dull, black bodysuits with a bare minimum of personalization to differentiate the characters. What does make the team stand apart for me is their mission. They aren't out there to protect the interests of any nation or even to save lives. They exist only to find and destroy things that are too dangerous to be out in the world, whether that means technology, weapons, people, or even ideas. I also appreciated that the team members' abilities fit the premise. Like, nobody's out there obliterating enemy bases with energy beams. They have powers that are well-suited for espionage work, like low-level super speed or a Zartan-like ability to mimic faces. Sharma's art is okay, but it is very inconsistent. And as I mentioned earlier, the character designs are pretty uninspired. And with the exception of just one panel 
where Dodge, the speedster-esque character, incapacitates a terrorist. I found the colors to be very bland. Yeah. That I mean, so I'm I'm flipping through it again, and this book is boring to look at, right? It's yeah, there's that one. There's that at. one panel where she takes down that terrorist outside of like, that one. That one that stands out. That's cool. Yeah. Ram V is a terrific writer, and I'm willing to give him a few issues to sell me on the vigil. But so far, the familiar story and dodgy art have not won me over. I'm giving this a skim it. Yeah, Ram V is an exceptional writer. I love Ram V. And some people have Ebb talked about his work on Detective and how it's getting really out there and bizarre. I still love it. I'm still on board. It's freaky as hell. I love his swamp thing. I think he's fantastic. I'm a little shocked that this is what he came up with for this. You know, it seems almost it's very cookie cutter. Yeah. It seems too simple for a writer like him who everything he's touched, including his Catwoman, has like brought like new depth and really interesting character work and stuff like that. And maybe this is going to go somewhere, but this just kind of felt like very late nineties, early 2000 to me, black ops squad doing black ops stuff. And they, they'll kill anybody for their mission. And, and okay. You know, <laughs> like, all right. I've, I've seen that plenty of yeah. times. I did kind of like the whole idea that they're not interested in saving people. Sure. You know, they just leave those people tied they up. They have a like, mission okay. and that's cool, yeah. but that's the, that's like all that they introduced here. I can't even, honestly, I can't name a character. I wrote a review. I'm there's, looking at it again. There's Dodge. I'm looking there's right Dodge, at him. the fast one. Yeah. I can't name a character after reading a comic like that. And that's, that's not okay. That's a skim it. At best, it's a skim it. It's not a leave it. Nothing fails. It just wasn't very memorable. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Let's continue to bag on this new initiative with City Boy, number one hey, hey, from hey. DC. <laughs> 26 pages for $3.99. It's written by Greg Pak with art and cover by Minku Young, colors by Sunny Goo, and letters by Wes Abbott. Here is your solicit. First scene in the Wildstorm 30th anniversary special and Lazarus Planet, Legends Reborn, there's a new Korean hero named City Boy, or at least that's the best translation of what the cities call him. City Boy, a.k.a. Cameron Kim, is just trying to make a living by using his powers of being able to speak to cities to find lost and hidden goods to pawn. Every word in this solicit is capitalized, and it's killing me. I didn't me. know what was going on, and I wasn't going to bring it up until later. Every it's word is capitalized. Killing like me. It, I, yeah, and it's, it's only just something. enough to get by. And those abilities mean he hears everything, everywhere, all the time, including each city's histories and the truths behind them. It's very loud in his head and something he has to live with. As his powers get stronger, the cities start forming animal avatars from scraps in order to oh, physically okay. travel alongside him on his adventures. A thing that does not happen in this comic. Of oh, course, wait, yes, it does. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. There's no animal avatars in this comic book. Oh, you know what? It was, again, it was the free comic book day one shot. Okay, great. We'll talk about that in a minute. Of course, Gotham is a rat avatar made of city scraps, but what about Metropolis, Bloodhaven, Amnesty Bay, or even Themyscira? And not all cities are so kind. None of what I just read you takes place. In this comic book, it may uh, take the place. scavenging does the, you know, him using well, the sure. scavenging. And it, it may take the, I'm talking about the stuff where they really get down to it. Him talking to cities, avatars and stuff like that. We see he's doing something with the city here. His name is city boy. He's wearing a shirt that has a city on it. 
You know, like yeah, that, it, where his, that came jacket, from, I don't know. <laughs> his jacket has the uh, has the outline of the city, like the Fraser logo. I remember this character from the Wildstorm 30th anniversary special, where he seemed kind of interesting. But I was hoping maybe he ends up related to Jack Hawksmore, maybe a character. I waited for 30 pages for this to be right. A character yeah. with very similar powers, where he speaks to cities and aliens gave him his powers, and it was really creepy. And it and what he did was awesome. They have a familiar power set. Unfortunately, City Boy's origin is a little more, um, we keep using this word, boilerplate. Drink every time you hear it. Mad scientist. Downright dull, actually. Yeah. Mad scientist makes an invention that dot, 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 gives him powers to find hidden things in the city and sort of make walls and floors move, I guess. While the art is good. I mean, he does, he does what Jack Hawksmore does. He, he manipulates the 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 bones of the city, right? Sort, he can phase through, sort of. He can phase through. He can like melt his way through walls. He can see things. You I know. think. I think so. I, the art doesn't do a real good job of spelling that yeah, out. Yeah, that's it. Yes, I. That's the impression. It's I got. good in some panels. There's some panels where I looked at this said that's good. This looks really good. When the kid is chasing after his grandma or his mom is driving away, it's like that's a great panel. But it doesn't help spell out City Boy's powers at all when we do see him doing stuff i can't tell if he's doing something imagining something or if things are just happening around him <laughs> you know maybe that's part of the mystery but it's not I think he, in I think this issue the plot touches on asian immigrants being preyed on by asian criminals who know how to take advantage of new arrivals but by the end of the story that's completely lost with intergang and a very familiar big bad guy appearance with a kind of silly origin, uneven art featuring a lot of faceless background characters and a story that jumped through time a little too fast for me to either fully understand who the character is and what he can actually do. I can't say this is a strong start for city boy at all. This very much reminds me of the problems I had with spirit world where a lot of this happened in a completely different book that they don't even mention outside of the Wildstorm 30th anniversary. And that is just a very brief appearance that didn't spell out anything. I'm giving this a skim it, but again, this is a low skim it. it. They're just not doing the character any favors for a number one issue. This feels like we could be three issues into the mystery. You know, I would have rather they, they spread it out a little bit. Show me his youth. Show me how he got here. Why is he homeless now? Is he homeless? He's dressed really well for being homeless. Did he just pull a dollar out of a pile of shit? What is happening? You know, <laughs> I, I think that I think the Wildstorm 30th anniversary thing is kind of an outlier because it came out so long ago, like it, months ago. Right. Right. That whatever. Yeah. There's a brief appearance by city boy. There was also the free comic book day one shot that we are legends. One shot had, uh, you know, a vigil story, a city boy story, a, sure. a spirit world story. And those all serve as pretty excellent primers to these books. And then they are kind of either ignored or glossed over in the actual first right. issues, which is a problem. Why it's not, not great. Reprint it's not it great here. storytelling. Reprint it. Stick it in here, you know, in case you missed that or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's not, it's not great storytelling. I mean, I suppose if you're saying, hey, get, the, just go to dccomics.com and read the free comic book day special. Sure. 
and, and then just getting right into it, then that would be fine. But I don't remember seeing anything like that in any of these books. No. And you can't just assume that we all got on the internet and did our homework to find out what's going on. You can't do it. Right. And and so if you're not going to, if you're not going to say, if you're not going to, at the very, very beginning, I'm talking about a page before the action even starts. Right. The front matter. The front matter. If you're not going to, if you're not going to go, if you're not going to put a link to your website on it that says this takes place after this free story, go read it now. Right. Here's a link to it. Go read it. Then you've done a disservice to your your story because yes. there's a lot of stuff that falls through the cracks. Now, I really, uh, I agree his origin is dumb. And I know that it's, you know, we're, he, he's got a unique origin all of his own, but by virtue of it being a quote unquote unique origin, it ends up being a very standard origin. Yeah. It's not of a very unique origin. It's like, if and, you're, and if you're from Metropolis, there's like a 60% chance that something like this could happen to you. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Well, and he, but he's in Gotham, I believe, which is something else that they don't really spell out. Oh, I thought he was uh, in Metropolis at this no, point. No, he's in I Gotham. He's in Gotham uh, because he's in the, uh, in the free comic book day issue. He's in Gotham. That's where he meets his little rat friend made out of junk, which again is not in this issue. Not here. I feel like they sold this character at the beginning as being so thematically similar to Jack Hawksmore that to have no connection whatsoever is a mistake. Yeah. Especially because their power sets appear to be so very similar. It's borderline silly. It's, yeah. Now, that all said, I really did enjoy a lot of the storytelling moments that Greg Pak delivers here. Uh, there's a... Joe, he's There's in a, Metropolis. It says Metropolis then, shows him as a kid, flashes forward, Metropolis now. Okay, well then, fine. That's it's fair like, enough. But, like, but that's, that's part of the problem. Uh, like, I mean, and, but you know what? We also read fast. I, I'm, I'm not, not going to blame them. If they put it on the page, I'm not going to blame them. No, I'm, but what I'm saying is the free comic book day thing, he's in, he's in Gotham talking to a, a mechanical rat. Here, he's in Metropolis, and that hasn't happened. Or it happened before. Or it's coming. Like, we don't even know. <laughs> we, yeah, you we know? don't know. Eh, it's a skimming. Our time with Dawn of DC comes to an end with Batman the Brave and the Bold number one. It's $7.99. It's written by Tom King, Ed Brisson, Christopher Cantwell, and Dan Mora, with art by Mitch Garretts, Jeff Spokes, Javier Rodriguez, and Dan Mora, colors by Garretts, Spokes, and Rodriguez, letters by Clayton Cowles, Saida Temofonte, Simon Boland and Tom Napolitano with a cover by Simone DeMeo. Here's your solicit. Coming off the spectacular success of Batman One Bad Day, The Riddler, the Eisner Award-winning team of Tom King and Mitch Garretts reunite for a horrifying four-part retelling of the first bloody clash between the Joker and the Batman. A tale of loathing, lies, and laughter, this may be the most frightening Joker story in a generation. Everyone, just ask Tom King. Everyone is going to be shocked. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, that was mean. That was mean. Oh, he didn't say anything like that. No, and he didn't. You'd yeah. be nice. <laughs> I know. I, I'm going to be very complimentary in here in a minute. Everyone is going to be shocked. Everyone is going to be talking about it. The Justice League may be gone, but its enemies aren't. Who will protect the world from the worst of the worst? Ed Brisson and Jeff Spokes pick up the story started in the Wildstorm 30th anniversary special as Director Bones and his new covert Stormwatch team travel the globe on Black Ops missions to take superpowered weapons of mass destruction off the board. Hey, wait a minute. 
Weren't we just talking about something like that? Something like that, yeah. I'm pretty Isn't sure. Isn't that exactly the plot of the vigil? I already forgot that book, so I don't know. Maybe. Okay, great. <laughs> but this is Stormwatch, and as always, not all is as it seems. Down with the Kings starts here. Superstar artist Dan Mora, you know him and you love him from Batman, Superman, World's Finest, and Shazam, makes his writing debut, kicking off a new series of Batman black and white short stories. In a Gotham City overrun by the cybernetic henchman of the Joker, the only person who can save us is the mysterious motorcycle-riding bat-costumed hero of urban legend. In order... Uh, I should, uh, the, sorry, period. Of urban legend, period. I thought there was going to be more to that sentence. In the Order of the Black Lamp, part one, from writer Christopher Cantwell. You know him from Halt and Catch Fire. And he is the writer of Briar and currently Invincible Iron Man. No, previously Invincible Iron Man. And artist Javier Rodriguez from Daredevil and the Defenders. Superman finds a decoder ring with a secret message, Save Me, which sends him on a quest to solve a mystery with ties to the Man of Steel's past. Wow, that's a solicit. There's a lot going on in here. <laughs> so. A lot of stuff. I mean, it's four stories. Yeah. I have not been reading the other Batman anthologies that have hit the stands over the past few years, like uh, Urban Legends, right? I think there may have been another one. So I really had no idea what to expect from this revival of a classic DC title that focused on Batman and characters on the periphery of his world. The roster of talent caught my eye immediately. King, Garrett's Cantwell, Mora. These are some heavy hitters, man, which makes this book stand apart from your garden variety anthology. King and Garrett's absolutely crush it right out of the gate with a new spin on a classic story and a brand new take on the Joker that I thought was truly terrifying. The Superman story by Cantwell and Javier Rodriguez is like a Fleischer cartoon come to life. It's vibrant and wonderful. Dan Mora's super weird sci-fi Batman black and white tale is a manga-inspired masterpiece, and I would fully expect to see a statue of that Batman on the shelf soon if the black and white statue line was still going. Oh, I hope so. The Stormwatch story by Brisson and Spokes doesn't bring anything new to the table, but it's a sort of return to form for the group, blending DC and Wildstorm characters under the leadership of director Bones. I do wish there were a few more classic Stormwatch characters in the mix, yeah, but, come on. but my man, my man, my man winner is there. So I'm on board. Yeah. That's fun that he's back, but I mean, come on. <laughs> Flint and, and Flint is there, but like where's Flint Hellstrike? is where's, not one of the classic Stormwatch characters that I was dying for. Flint was introduced but I'm much saying, but, later. I mean, but she is a st- classic Stormwatch character, but like where's Hellstrike? Where's Fuji? Right. Come yeah. Come on. You can make a drinking game based on how often we say that anthologies are inconsistent at best, but Batman, the brave and the bold number one is exceptional on almost every level. I'm giving this a huge buy it. What a pleasant surprise. This was just strong start to finish strong. And I, yeah, I groan when it comes to anthologies as well, because typically first story you go, Oh, Tom King and Mitch Garads. That's the only one you need to pay attention to. The rest were really good too. They were really good. I do wish there was more classic Stormwatch characters. Whatever. Uh, the Stormwatch is the weakest of the four, but only by default. Right. The, and I, I, I wish it was a little bit more Stormwatch. It was beautiful to look at, though. The art. Uh, the gorgeous art. Incredible gorgeous. art. The tricky part I don't know, is. No, I don't know no Jeff Spokes. I don't think I've heard of that guy before. I can't say that I have either. The tricky part here is $7.99 cover price. 
You're asking people to spend a lot of money on another Batman book, you know, and you're asking retailers, you're asking retailers to, to order it. a lot of money on an unknown. Yeah. What is it going to be from issue to issue? So it's tough. And not only that, like, look, this is loaded and it's great. Does it stay that way? How long can you maintain that quality with an anthology book as opposed to three separate books or something like that? I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Giving it a buy it. We'll see how long it sticks around. And, you know, because like after King and Dreads are done, how are you going to push this one? I mean, it's a, it's a four-part story, you know? Right. How are you going to push the this Dan Moore, The Dan Moore thing is one and done. You know, what are they yeah. going to do to fill the pages? Exactly. So time will tell. But right now, firing on all cylinders. Before the Cosmic Long Blocks releases us from the shackles of our servitude... We need to pick one of these Donna DC titles that stood out amongst the rest that we will promptly bag and board for the Teach and Permanent Collection. Joe Patrick, which one of these comics tickled your Dawn of DC pickle, if you will? I won't. Sure you will. (laughs) Okay. So for a second there, I thought I might give it to Brave and the Bold, but I think I'm going to give it to Green Lantern. Yes, Titans was great, but I knew that I would love it. I am shocked. I, I, but see, I the thing is, is that I knew that I was going to love it already. Okay, like, fair. That's, there's fair. no surprises. Fair. There. Green Lantern was such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. For how, uh, bringing Hal Jordan kind of back to a place where I care about reading about his adventures again. Absolutely. And as much as I love Green Lanterns in space, doing space stuff and all that, there's just something really great about Green Lantern being on Earth. It's like and, my, you know, kind of. Hard traveling hero style. Hal yeah. lives in a trailer. You know, he drinks beer on the roof of his trailer and he doesn't have a job. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that stuff's great to me. And the art is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Wow. Green Lantern's my answer, too. And, and, like, what you just said, I love Green Lanterns in space. I love the Green Lantern core. I am always down to read that. But there's, you've got to reconnect every once in a while. Bring them back down to Earth for a while. Ron Mars was excellent at doing that in his run. Kyle, Kyle's in space doing this. Kyle's back on Earth hanging out with his buddy Wally. Kyle's in space doing this. Kyle's yeah. back on Earth hanging out with Jade, you know, and dealing with Alan Scott's crap. You know, like, he balanced it yeah. really well. That's what I'm hoping Jerry at, Jeremy Adams is going to do here. Balance it out. I love that Hal is home, the hometown hero. And people are like, yay, Green Lantern. As opposed to, like, the, oh, the guy that blew up Coast City and tried to kill the universe. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm done with that, yeah. right? I'm tired we're, of that. We're done with that. We moved on. If we had to have Hal back, I'm glad we're past all of the, you know, yeah. doom and gloom and distrust in the parallax. And it's good to have Hal back, but you're right. Let's get Guy in there. Let's get Kyle in there. Let's get rid of their shot. You know, they're all Earthlings, too. So Look, man, I want to see these guys sitting around the t- uh, table at Warriors having a beer. Absolutely. That's what I want. We're reopening Warriors because it blew up, remember? It got killed. Warriors is constantly getting blown up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Now that we've been released, it's time to retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our AI, Macho, has finished the materials list we requested for our Zelda Tears of the Kingdom build, and it looks like Link's helicarrier, complete with agents and jetpacks and a flying car, is going to be badass. Maybe a little too badass. (laughs) Hey, man. While I check the net to see 
where on the map to go for these materials. Why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next New Comic Book Wednesday, May 31st. So Macho tells us exactly what we need and doesn't tell us where to find it. Seriously, man. Uh, what are we know, doing? He's only, <laughs> as, on. he's only as good as his programming to call him an AI. It's might not be even as good as an IGN walkthrough. <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> yeah. My pick for next week is Nouns, Noun Town, number one from Titan. It's $4.99. It's written by David Leach with art by David Schlitz. Here's your solicit. Meet the nouns in their first comic book adventure, an epic adventure of playground style fun and humor. I have no idea what any of this means. <laughs> nouns, D-A-O, not sure what that is, presents a new sensational miniseries by writer David Leach, who worked on Psycho Gran, and artist Danny Schlitz, a deeply moving coming-of-age drama about a small-town thimble salesman caught up in a politically charged espionage caper involving a stolen atom bomb, a signed picture of the Pope, and a man with a fox for a head. <laughs> Hold on. I feel like maybe those... Uh, was this solicit written by AI? No. Because... No. So what this is, is like nouns, noun town, is like, it's a kid's book. We learn about nouns. But it's way more than that. Like when you get into it, there's a... It sounds like Mad Libs. Well, but there's a whole... It, what it is, it's like, it's teaching kids. But what they've done is snuck in a very adult story about espionage and the end of the sure. world into yeah, this boy. adorable little children's thing. It's insidious and kind of brilliant. It's really cool. <laughs> All right. The book that I have chosen for next week. Joe, this is your must-read pick for next week. Let's call it what it is. I mean, look, it's the, bo- it's the book I'm most curious to read. Sometimes you know, we've been here. We all we've been here the- before. Sometimes we all before. show up to the car accident to see if there's a dead guy. You know, like we do. Like <laughs> we we have chosen we have chosen books that we have chosen out of curiosity, other than uh, rather than excitement, and that's the case here. It's Amazing Spider-Man 26 from Marvel Comics. It's 4.99. It's written by Zeb Wells, with art by John Romita Jr. Here is your solicit, which seems to be kind of truncated like they wrote it before they revealed what's actually going to happen now fully in the present the emissary has returned and his power is so far beyond spider-man's abilities the heroes may figure out a way to win but the cost of victory will be so immense that you may hope they don't i mean it's very succinct huh there it is as discussed this week in the nerd news recap and on the gang hang and everywhere else on the internet Amazing Spider-Man 26 will feature the death of Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Ms. Marvel, for reasons that we think are obvious, but, you know, time will tell. We shall see. And uh, it's it just happens to be happening in this book for some reason, and I need to see how it all plays out. Fair. Everyone is yelling at Zeb Wells, yelling at Zeb Wells for all of these terrible decisions that he's making as though Zeb Wells is the one that made the decision to do any of this shit. I assure you, he is not. I don't entirely know if that's true. I Zeb Wells did not say let's kill Kamala Khan and, and make her uh, like that's That didn't, that's above Zeb Wells's pay grade. She, she was in the book. Maybe he came up with the idea and said, we can do it right here. No, I bet you anything that they had this plan and they were like, Zeb, Kamala is an internet Oscorp. Pepper her throughout your run. Here's the part where I play Joe Patrick and say, there's no way you can know that. 
There is no way I can know that. Okay. But I'll take it a step step further. I have not cared about Zeb Wells' amazing Spider-Man run for several issues now, and that includes everything that happened in Dark Web. He lost me. I I don't care. It just lost me. Well, I want to see I want to see what happens. I'm curious. We're going to read it. We're going to talk about it on the show. Don't of worry. Of course, yes, we're going to review yeah. it next week and like Zeb Wells is the writer that was assigned to do this story. Maybe he had the idea for the comeback of this emissary character, whatever. But I I this is corporate meddling it feels like corporate meddling at its finest. So we'll see what goes on. Will the internet ever be the same? Time will tell. Of course it will. Someone piss them off next week and it'll totally change. The THN must read trade for next week is knee deep. The trade paperback volume number one from Oni press. It's 2199. It's written and drawn by Joe flood. Here's your solicit. 200 years in the future. Refugees from an environmental cataclysm have fled underground. They survive by scrounging out of a living in a twisted maze of tunnels and canals. Scavengers, misfits, bandits, renegades. Canals. I did. And mutants are among the citizens of the subterranean realm. They are sewer folk. Their home, the bowels of a utopian city that was never completed. Life is hard enough, but an overzealous mining company called Perch wants to get their claws on the new underground frontier, and they don't mind bulldozing any sewer folk that get in their way. Caught in the middle is a young girl named Cricket. She's in a desperate search to find her family that fled underground. Join Cricket as she explores the savage new world in the hope of finding her parents and unlocking the secrets of a past long forgotten. In the three-part graphic novel series for all ages, knee-deep, Joe! Why'd you pick this one? <laughs> uh, so I, I picked this one because it, the premise sounded great. The premise like, sounds great. Yeah, it's an all, and uh, the cover looks uh, amazing as well. Joe Flood, it, the art looks wonderful. I'm looking at it now. The art looks very good. Yes. And I love that, I love that all ages books now or, or young adult graphic novels or whatever, however you want to describe them. I guess it's two different things, all ages and young adult. But I love how these books that are geared toward younger readers are no longer afraid to tackle very serious real world allegories. Like this book is obviously all about like displacing the unhoused or, you know, imminent domain or, uh, you know, uh, displacing indigenous cultures. Yada, yeah, yeah, yada, yeah. Yada. I mean, I agree, and, but like environmental, like I love, I love that. That's and, been going on and, in young adult fiction for quite a while, man. I mean, the hunger right. games came but, out a uh, while but ago. Also, <laughs> but they're also, they're not afraid to make the allegory more obvious. They're not, they're not just hinting at it. They're like, this is happening and it's bad. And now the kids are mad as hell and sure, they're not sure, going to sure. take it anymore. I love that kind of thing. Uh, this looks like a ton of fun. And we ain't scared of an all-age book around here. The so. art is very good. I will say that. It looks very cool. Cartoonish Knee-deep. and detailed and, and deep and like lots of depth. It looks good. Knee Deep, Volume 1. Check it out. Be sure to add these comics to your pull list at your local comic shop if you want to read along with us. And let us know what you thought of our picks. It may be a holiday weekend, but comics don't take no time off. Think that the truth. Excelsior! (laughs) That is it! For THN 704, next time we're back to reviewing new comics, and we're going to give you a sneak peek of our Patreon Extra when we are counting down our top 
five Spider-Mans in parentheses, not that one. Other Spideys that wore the costumes. You get it. We've got a Spider-Man movie coming out. Lots of Spider-Man in them. We are going to talk about our favorites. In the meantime, check out our Nerd News Update show. It hits your feed every other Monday. And join us for the THN Cover to Cover Gang Hang. We do that on Saturdays at 11 Central. you got to check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, what else can these nerds do at Discord? I don't like how you characterize me in this. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Are you looking for a place to celebrate Rom's return to Marvel? Boy, howdy. Maybe you want to correct me when I spout off about Skybound and the state of the Transformers comic license. I mean, you know. Fair. It's fair. fair. (laughs) Or maybe you just want to discuss our question of the week. This week's question was inspired by our discussion about Daredevil's imaginary twin brother, Mike Murdoch, and the horrifying truth about Lockjaw during last week's gang hang. And let me tell you what, Brian Domingos put the actual panels on the Discord and it makes it so much worse. Yeah, (laughs) it's worse than I thought. (laughs) Which comic book character, superhero or otherwise, has the dumbest origin story? And we're not talking about not comedic characters. These are characters in serious stories that they try to sell you. Yeah. If an origin is supposed to be silly because it's a comedy character, that's not exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about Bouncing Boy drinking a chemical because he thought it was soda pop, but he yeah. lives in the future. He doesn't know the difference between soda pop and dangerous chemicals. So, and people still drink dangerous chemicals that are just sitting around in the future all the time. We never figured that out either. <laughs> right. It's not like under lock and key. No. He's just sitting there. Right. Yeah. Sign up for our Discord with the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com slash Discord, where we've got channels for all of our segments, or send an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, and we'll put you on the show. Hey, quick RIP to the THN hotline. Yeah. Google put it out of its misery because we weren't using it. Fair enough. If you're new to the show and you're upset that you can't call and leave us a message about how bad it sucks, I assure you it's only because you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like Sean Devlin, one of our OG patrons from day one. As the Usos would say, he's been down from day one-ish. Longer than most of you. Yeah. But no shame. You're all value. <laughs> if you like what don't you listen, hear. Don't listen to him, please. Yeah, I, I don't understand love. I do understand money. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron just like Sean Devlin, who started the first day, people. Okay? At patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. God bless that kid. God, yeah, exactly. You know what? Uh, and Somebody had quick, to be the first one to throw themselves on the grenade, though, right? Well, <laughs> I'm not saying he was the first person, but he was there on the first day of the... I'm day. saying he's number one, okay? Okay. Well, that's fine. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our friend and brother, Keith Binder. Long-time listeners may remember that Keith is the original love slave and was in the room the day we recorded our very first episode. But our friendship goes back way farther than that. He's been one of my best and most supportive friends for a lot of years, and now he needs that support return. Matt has known him since he was a wee baby. Oh, yeah. For way too long. A, a dumbass God. teenager. He was never wee, though. He's always super tall and lame. He's always just ridiculous. When we stand by each other, tall. we look like a goddamn cartoon. It's ridiculous. You look like that uh, Danny DeVito on our Schwarzenegger movie, Twins. Yes. 
Keith has been diagnosed with a rare form of stage 3B testicular cancer. He's already had a series of rapid-fire surgeries with more to come, and he'll need months of chemotherapy as well. Soon he'll be unable to work, and medical bills, rent, and everyday expenses are accumulating quickly. Now, Keith's employers at Beercade and Benson, shout out to our Omaha peeps, have set up a GoFundMe page to support him while he's fighting this, and many of you in the audience have already donated. Thank you. We're going to put a link to the fundraiser in our show notes for this episode. Please consider donating if you can. Spread the word far and wide if you can't, or, you know, both. either way, please spread the word. Word to you, Keith. We love you, brother. Yeah, and America does not take care of its own, so it comes down to us to take care of each other. All right? Do the right thing. We've got, I've got another friend from the comic shop who can't afford his prescription medication because of this shit. So we got to we gotta lift each other up. I've got a friend I co-host a podcast with that can't afford his prescription medication. So well, look, I wasn't going to mention that. I wasn't going to mention it, Matt. <laughs> I can cut that. Not about me. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just make fun of your leather jacket. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. A lot of leather jackets on this show. That's that's That was pretty good.